Welcome to Coogan Knows the Law, where we untangle the knots of complicated legal questions and break down legalese into plain English. I'm attorney Jim Coogan. In this episode, we explore that while Coogan knows the law, he doesn't know physical therapy, athletic training, and rocket launches the way that Joseph Santillo does. Joe is a well-qualified athletic trainer. I was fortunate to spend some time and sit down with him and interview him about his work. Presently, he's serving as Chief Operating Officer of Independent Worksite Solutions. But in his work, he works with injured folks, including working them through what's called a functional capacity exam, which Joe will take the opportunity to explain in greater detail, and has dedicated his entire career to working with people in a physical setting, including with physical therapy. Uh, He developed that interest in his own athletic career when he was in high school and has since been working at different places, which of all places included NASA, and we'll get into that later in the show. But first, this episode is brought to you by the law firm of Coogan Gallagher. Our law practice is dedicated to dealing with people's injuries and working with our clients in situations where they need guidance through this whole process. Sometimes it includes consultations with different doctors. Sometimes it includes physical therapy. And there are times in the course of injury recovery when patients need to have what's called a functional capacity exam. These are all things that you deal with in the unusual and unique circumstances of your injury recovery trajectory. Our job is to walk you through it, counsel you through it, and answer your questions. All this, it seems to me that so much of your career has been dedicated to situations where people have injuries, whether it's athletic injuries, industrial injuries, or even you know, some kind of work injury that maybe not technically industrial, but you're treating them or you're doing the, the evaluation for an FCE. What's, what's been your, uh, how do you process that? Because you're constantly interacting with people that are in physically challenging situations. Uh, does it affect you? Do, do you see pain differently? How, how does how is that kind of built up um, over the years? I, I think someone who lives with with chronic pain, it's you know I even though I don't tell them a whole lot about myself living with with chronic pain, I do understand what chronic pain feels like. Um, so I can relate a little bit to what they're going with, but there are some sometimes where there are folks that go through some things due to their injury, especially nerve type pain, which could be absolutely terrible. Um, it is, it's very debilitating. It's very uncomfortable. And, and in some cases it's very hard to get managed and control. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I can relate a little bit to what, the, what they're going through. Um, and I think that, so as a healthcare provider, I, I think for us as a whole, I think, and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking just about athletic trainers or physical therapists or medical doctors or chiropractors. I think as a whole, I think we have um, uh, maybe a little bit higher sense of empathy for individuals because we do have to work with the injured, the sick, and we have to be able to do so with, with a little bit of a caring heart because if not, it's, you know, we can become very robotic and it's, that's not good for healthcare as a whole. Well, so I mean, have you found that, that maybe sometimes you get burned out with that or get a little callous because you've, you just see it all the time or, or how do you cope with that 
I don't. Potential it, risk. Know, I, it's, it, it changes so much. It changes every day. So um, yeah, I could work with a, 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 an injured worker that uh, everything went well, everything was doing great, uh, ready to return to work. They just need one little piece of the puzzle, and this was it. And they're able to go back to what they were doing. Um, I I don't like to ref- I like to I shouldn't say I don't like to refer to it as uh, as always. Oh well, let's get the person back to work or let's get this person working. I like to think of it as how about we get this person back back to living because if we can refer get somebody back to living work goes along with it so if we can refer or excuse me if we can get somebody back to living their life that person will eventually at some level find a position a job doing something and so i think as a you know as a, as a especially working with compensation i think we should start looking at it from that perspective instead of let's get someone back to work it's like you know what, how about we get this person back to living and the job will come around sooner or later Depending sure. on what the person is. No, I mean that. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. I, and I, I think there are people who would be doing what you're doing and could be burned out by it and wouldn't necessarily see it with that level of empathy. So uh, those are those are lucky people to be working with be. you. I think um, absolutely. It, it can be. It can be. It can be very tiring. It can be very. I mean, yeah. I mean, hearing you know you know some some stories over and over and over again. That can be very, you know, it's just very downtrending. It's just like, oh my gosh. But you have to, at some, but you also have to kind of separate yourself a little bit so you don't get too much into it. You, you kind of have to, you kind of just, you have to kind of dis, disengage a little bit. You know, not to the point where you, you've been robotic. It's, it's just, you gotta, you also have to protect yourself too. Yeah, that clinical uh, yeah. distance that you have to keep, right? Yes. So tell me a little bit about the industrial medicine part of this. Have you also been in environments where you're trying to figure out how to prevent injuries on the job for people? So um, I was doing injury prevention work for about uh, five and a half years for um, a company whose client is uh, Comet. So for five and a half years, I had the I had the privilege of working alongside, um, you know, common linemen, uh, uh, splicers, uh, substation mechanics, uh, even diesel mechanics, and even even those in management. So it was it was a, it was fun. It was a good time. It was it's it's an eye opening experience. It's one of those things where um, I think as a whole, until you see it, you take you kind of take for granted what um, you know how much work it takes to keep the electricity going. Um, and also how dangerous it can be, not just not just from the work itself, but also from an ergonomic standpoint of how how um, sometimes uh, situations can be very ergonomically uh, poor because of the fact that, that it's the environment they have to work in. So you really you, you, you kind of take advantage you kind of take advantage of that and you kind of you kind of just you don't realize how much it goes. So I was there for about five and a half years. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a good experience. And I mean, these I, guys are I, up I, in cherry pickers. They're on, they're underground. They're pulling wire. I mean, these are all awkward yeah. angles. Yeah, um, they're, yep. Sometimes they're, you know, depending on the group, they could be, um, what's considered overhead transmission, which is the tower group. Sometimes it could be over hundred, 150 feet up in the air, or they can be, <laughs> excuse me, or they can be substate or, uh, uh, underground, uh, underground splicers. And they can find themselves in the city. Um, they can find themselves in the city sometimes in the source that are basically manholes. 
and that's extremely dangerous because of the flat of the flash it just has nowhere else to go except for up and out so they have to take a lot of precautions to protect themselves and so from our perspective we did not do uh safety that's i mean comment has a very robust safety program um so for what us we were looking at the the ergonomic uh risks if there were risks and working with the, the the folks in the field as well as management to help mitigate some of the ergonomic risks to, to try to make it as healthy as possible but some of the work you just can't change you just gotta you have to give them advice that will help mitigate the offset some of the effects of being in those environments and then flash forwards about five and a half years um, I was able to uh, be in independent um, and that's when I started doing them uh, FCEs on a full-time basis so I was able to do uh, work with various doctor's offices I have actually contracts with doctor's offices I have contracts with physical therapy companies um, I have contracts to receive uh, referrals from third-party administrators um, so I have uh, built up a uh, a nice little network of my own over the over six seven years and so right now I have um, about 20 22 different locations I do FCEs out of in mm. multiple doctor's offices as well as uh, physical therapy companies how many FCEs would you say you're doing like on a monthly basis oh boy I would say close to about about 20 on a monthly basis um, and it'll depend sometimes it may be a little bit more based upon um, the time of year um, there seems to be the busier times uh, it could very well be oh gosh I may have to do two a day that could be you know seven or eight I think the most I ever did one one week was nine so yeah in a day uh, wait really uh, you know, no, no no a week oh, okay <laughs> nine, I was gonna nine, say nine. I don't know how you'd have time for that uh, I know you yeah. gotta sleep at two, some point oh two two days two days it's good two days good uh, it, it's mentally draining after two so tell us about why or how you got involved working at NASA at some point in your okay. career. Um, so when I went to Illinois State, the uh, supervisor for students, his, his name is Eric. Eric Mason is his name. And he got his master's degree from Illinois State University. And so he liked looking for students that would come from ISU to start and then kind of work out from there. So maybe ISU, and then maybe look at Western, Eastern, Northern, and then kind of branch out from there. So when we were looking for, and I and our students and I, the rest of the students and I were looking for internships, uh, that was one of them. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll apply to it. There's no way I'm going to get it. I mean, I mean, I was a good student, but I'm no, I was never, I'm, I was never, no, you know, uh, an honor student. There's just, there's, for me, there's no way I was going to get it. So I think over a week, there was like two or three students ahead of me that applied to it. And for whatever reason, they decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stay closer to home. And I'm like, oh, okay, look, it's that, you know, this person's not going to take it. And then the other person's like, oh yeah, I'm going to stay close to home. I'm like, all right, fine. So then one day I got a phone call from uh, Eric and talking about the program, about what it can or cannot do and or can about what to expect and this and that. And he offered me the internship, and you know it was a it was a it was a big step, you know, for a college student ready to graduate, going from you know central Illinois all the way down to um, down to Florida. 
<laughs> so I had to, so I had to talk to my parents, you know, I had to let them know that this is, and so when I talked to my father is I asked him, I said, you know, dad, I had this opportunity da, 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 da. and he goes, he goes, I don't know if I can take it because it's there. He goes, what are you stupid? You're gonna take that. I was like, my dad's Italian, by the way. So he's like, what are you stupid? Take it. I was like, oh, okay, you know. So, I mean, it's NASA, Joe. Come on. I, I know that, uh, but it's it, but I it was it was a it was a big deal. I mean, you're going from from here to here. You really aren't going to be able to work. Uh, so, from a financial standpoint, you better make sure you have something put away to help support you. And even then, you might need help from from mom and dad to help mm-hmm. get through. And that was the biggest thing. So once my dad told me, I was like, don't be stupid and take it. So I, I accepted the position. You had some it support. Great. It was great. It was uh, what it did for me. And for those who aren't aware of it, it's a, it was a, it's still there. Um, it's, it's a free on-site rehabilitation program for anybody who's badged that can get on, on stationary. So it could be military, NASA, contract, anybody who gets hurt, non-work-related, work-related injuries, anybody can go there and get treatment for their ailments because it's not going through insurance. Um, there's, we don't have to worry so much about uh, practice acts and laws because we're not billing for anything. We're not going to break laws that way. And so we would treat just about anybody. Um, for me, what it did was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it took all the craziness that you, you get from undergrad and they just throw it at you and you, you have to somehow find a way to, to put everything together so it's usable. And that's what it did. It took everything that was thrown at me. They taught me how to approach everything from evaluating to treating. It just put everything together. So when I left the internship and became certified, um, it was like, it was no big deal. I transferred into the working world, feeling comfortable, confident in whatever I did as a result of that internship. Sure, you already had your crash course in being in in the fire. Your feet were just thrown right in there. Yeah, it was great. It was it was wonderful. Um, it, it, I, I, I got to see and experience so much when I was down there. Um, you know, the little tidbit was I got to if if we were lucky, my 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 fellow intern and I, if we got lucky, we didn't know that one of our patients was actually inside the space shuttle shuttle Atlantis while it sat up in a vertical position. We got to go and sit in the entryway of the of the of Atlantis and look around. But if we knew that if if our patient knew they were coming, he could have gotten us clearance to get dressed up and go inside of that. But we didn't get that lucky. Didn't happen. No. Oh, unfortunately. Okay. Well, wait. But you were in the doorway. You actually got to see yeah. like inside of it. That's yeah, pretty I have cool. Photo of me sitting there, nice and young and healthy and handsome looking. With my ISU shirt on, sitting in the doorway with the spatial Atlantis uh, door open with uh, STS-109 sitting on it. It's pretty close. It's a lot closer than most people get to uh, get inside of a space shuttle. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It was, it was a great experience. Did you get to see launches while you were there too then? or? Yeah, there was two. Yeah, the, the, the first one was a night launch. That was Columbia. The second one was, was the STS-109. That was uh, Atlantis. And for us... You can only be, so you're about a mile away. That's the closest because you have gates. You can't go any further than that. And it's because if something were to happen directly after takeoff, that mile distance gave everybody enough time to get inside, get in their cars, turn on the air conditioning so that they didn't breathe in whatever's whatever's just been exploded into the air. So 
um, yeah, you're sitting there and you're watching it. The first thing you see is that big plume of mist because it's because the, the the launch pad was just just out of sight over the trees. So you see that big plume of mist. Then you you see the uh, the shuttle and starting to lift off. Then you get almost blinded because the uh, the boosters are so bright and the and the, uh, the fire was so bright as you, you couldn't really look at it. Then you hear it. And then you take the the gut punch, which is the the sonic boom. Ooh, okay. Yeah, sets off car alarms, rattles windows, and then and then after that it goes up. Nice. Well, yeah. so just to kind of take this back to you and where you are now, I guess let's let's do this almost like as an advice question. Um, what would you say to somebody who's interested in training, physical therapy, and and the kind of things that you do in your career? Like, what what would your Advice be to them. What's good? What's bad? What should they be pursuing? Why should they do it? I, I look at it as the, the, the advice I received from a my former supervisor uh, John G years ago, and my the, the, what he said to me I, I, it has always resonated. Is if somebody wants to go into physical therapy, if someone wants to do athletic training, go ahead, go ahead and do it. But once you're in it, always, always find a way to educate yourself. And whatever that might be, it could be very well the traditional way of maybe getting a, maybe a DPT, maybe, you know, you're like, you know what, Joe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my master's MBA. Okay, that's great. Or if you go the other direction where you work on certifications, which is the direction I want, it's because John had said, it, he, he proposed a question to me. It was had to do with a course that was offered through the hospital and it was the McKenzie Institute, the McKenzie course, and which was had to do with the neck, I think. And the question was, he asked me, Joe, do you want to take the class? And I said, no, I, I, I'm an athletic trainer. I don't deal with bulging or herniated discs. He looks at me and goes, he said, Joe, if you take that, you take the course, would that make you smarter? I said, yeah. He says, Joe, if you take it, would it make you more competent in your job? I was like, uh, yeah, I probably, yeah, I would. And he said, then why wouldn't you not take it? So I took it. So I took McKinsey A, took McKinsey B, took McKinsey C, took McKinsey D. And I have all these other, other classes I took. Because if you go into this, you never stop educating yourself and whatever it is. Yeah, I would have to, I believe that there's no end to the body mechanics that you can learn the other parts of the body, different joint issues. Uh, McKenzie is the, he's like a renowned back doctor, doesn't he? Right. He's written yeah. some books and has some, uh, inserts that you can put in your chair and things like that. Is that the same yeah. guy? So he's, so it was, um, the, the McKenzie technique, which is, uh, which was developed by Robin McKenzie was a, I do believe he was a physiotherapist. He, uh, when he was, he passed uh, some years ago now, but when he was alive and practicing, he had developed a technique based upon what he was doing down in New Zealand. And that technique is one of several that has become very widely used in the outpatient rehab world to help address those with, let's say, bulging discs, herniated discs, uh, spinal stenosis, um, those with lumbopelvic hip disorders. Um, so it's all used to help with that. And then he, at some point through um, his early career and developing this technique, decided that he's going to compile a massive amount of, of data, a lot of research, 
and then from there turn around and then educate those like myself and this technique so that we can use this apply it to uh, patients that we work with so yeah it's it's a very it's widely known it can be very effective if used correctly um but it's not that's not also for just treatment but also for assessment and it can be used to let you know uh, other providers know like we've done everything with the McKenzie technique and this person's not progressing, mm. which in, in their terms, it's called, it could potentially be uh, unreducible if it's a disparate. So if it's not reducing or unreducible, what do you do next? So it can be also used not for treatment, but also for assessment purposes. All right. So one other piece of advice I'd ask you about, what would you say to people so they can avoid ending up needing to see you either for an <laughs> FCE or for treatment or for anything else? Um, I would say when it comes to um, one, use good body mechanics, work in the power zone, use a squat lift technique. Uh, if you find yourself in a, a job where you're doing a lot of repetitive motion, there what's called micro breaks where you can use, you know, stretch out your hands, even just shaking it, opening, closing it, adding that into your day. Um, one of the other big things are, is, excuse me, is uh, are are you taking time out of your day to invest in yourself? Are you exercising outside of it? Just because someone that does physical work doesn't necessarily mean that you're exempt from doing you know, exercise. It just means your body's adapted to it. So you want to do it. You want to exercise on top of what you're doing during the day because the exercise will make your activities of daily living, your job just a little bit looking at nutrition, what we put into our bodies. Two, the two, some of the two worst things we put into our systems is uh, nicotine products and simple sugars. Both are highly inflammatory. So reducing and cutting that out altogether will help you know reduce the inflammation and inflammatory response in your body. And then ultimately, good old fashioned sleep. Um, I'm a Ohio State Buckeye football fan. And when Urban Meyer was a coach, he made it a um, he made it mandatory that after lunch and films that everybody on the team had to take a nap. So everybody got a queen size mattress and wherever you can lay down, you just go and you take a nap. So getting a good night's sleep um, at night is essential. And if you can't for whatever reason, even just a quick nap during the day for maybe an hour, help give your body what it needs. So if anybody was trying to invest in themselves, I would look into all those. Well. Those do sound like good pieces of advice. And uh, folks, let's keep in mind, this is somebody who would know. Once again, you can find Joe on the internet if you're looking for somebody in a functional capacity exam setting, although more than likely what's going to end up happening is you'll be talking to a lawyer like me. You may have a work injury or some other kind of injury circumstance where at some point in time, your doctor wants you to go through the process of being evaluated, figure out what your limitations are, where your pain points are, and whether it's time for you to get back to work. Sometimes returning to work after an injury requires a transition period where you can't do all the things that you used to do. And other times the injury is severe enough that you're unable to return to doing things the same way that you used to. It can affect what jobs you're qualified to do. It can affect whether or not you can return to the position that you used to be in. So those are circumstances where you need some guidance. And those would be times to talk to an attorney like the attorneys here at Coogan Gallagher. You can find us at cgtrial.com. And this episode was produced by Ear for Audio.